Assalamu everyone and welcome back. You're listening to Say Walla, the podcast from your MuslimGirl.com editors. My name is Hadil and you are listening to a very, very special episode. We recorded this back in March at South by Southwest live on their podcast stage and it was beyond incredible. I am in love with Texas and I never thought I would say that, but <laughs> I'm in love with it now. Um, but beyond that, we have a very special guest for this episode. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib joined us and it was just amazing. I'll let you guys listen for yourselves, but we just wanted to say thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Okay. Hi guys. Um, I feel like we've all really bonded together just now. You all have seen all the contents of my desktop, which is like as intimate as you can get in the millennial, millennial era. So hi. Every angle <laughs> also pointed upwards like you've seen the ugliest parts of me at this point. So. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us here today. We are so excited to be here. Uh, as of today, MuslimGirl.com has just debuted its first ever podcast, Say Walla. Um, should, we, Walla. should we let them in on what Walla means? <laughs> um, yes. Does anyone here know what Walla means before we, we explain it to you? Any voluntary definitions? Okay. Okay. So basically, what it directly translates to, it, it's an Arabic term. Um, and it means like swear by God, basically. But millennial Muslims have turned it into like, just like say word or like no way or like um, say what, I guess, if we're going by the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <for laughs> the title sure. of this. Um, yeah, so that's that's what it is. Absolutely. And of course, coming from MuslimGirl.com, we couldn't think of a better name for our first podcast. Um, anyone here a MuslimGirl.com reader already? By show of hands. Wow, that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming by this this panel then, um, we're really excited to have you. So muslimgirl.com is the biggest English platform for Muslim women's voices online. Basically, we're here to reclaim the narrative in the media for Muslim women in Western societies and to be able to address the topics and the issues that are directly impacting our lives as modern Muslims living our lifestyles in today's society that are also conscious of our cultural and religious backgrounds um, and really doing so in a way that promotes greater understanding, tolerance through the spirit of sisterhood um, and honestly through the millennial language, uh, which is what we pride ourselves on. Muslim girls entirely run by and for Muslim women and yet 50% of our audience is non-Muslim, which really is a testament to the fact that it has become a resource for individuals that want to le learn more and want a, an accessible way to really build those bridges. Yeah. Um, I'm the social media editor at Muslim Girl. I don't know if we introduced ourselves, we but did. <laughs> we didn't. We definitely didn't introduce ourselves. My name is Hadil, <laughs> and this is Amani, yep. um, our editor-in-chief and my queen. Um, <laughs> So as like social media editor, I, I look a lot at the comments and um, the engagement that we get on our posts. And like Amani said, a lot of our um, our viewers and a lot of our, our engagement comes from non-Muslims looking to learn more about Islam, looking for a place that is comfortable to talk about these things. And we really don't give a shit what we talk about and we don't really have a filter. So <laughs> we really uh, we can we have the space to do whatever we want. And exactly. I think on our own terms, on our own terms. And that's what this podcast is about, is creating a space for marginalized voices to really speak for ourselves rather mm -hmm. than have like the narrative written for us. Mm -hmm. um, as you all can imagine, for the longest time, the conversation, especially post 9-11, has really centered on Muslim women. 
who they are. Why do they dress like that? What are they thinking? What's do they have a there? voice? Exactly what's <laughs> under there, which we'll get to later on Nothing. during this session. <laughs> Voldemort. These are my favorite answers. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yet, it's rarely ever been Muslim women doing the talking. It's, ever, it's rarely ever been Muslim women with the mic, right? Mm. Um, and so that's really what we're here for, is to create that space and that platform to amplify those narratives and to really talk back. Our, our tagline is Muslim women talk back. And yeah. um, we're really good at that because it's really hard for either one of us to shut up, yeah. which is why we created <laughs> this podcast. See. You'll see, we need a space to talk forever. And uh, no one can tell us to stop because I'm the one with the power at this point. Um, but I think it's also really important to note that a lot of the spaces that are available for Muslims to be speaking in um, don't aren't comfortable in the way where you feel like you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Like I personally don't. This is not this. I'm not spilling tea right now about the Muslim community, but I'm just saying that. Oh, like, yes, we are. We are a little bit <laughs> because when I feel when I walk into like a Muslim space specifically, I feel uncomfortable bringing up like taboo topics. But when it comes to something like Muslim girl, I feel like I can talk about Muslim sugar babies, for mm -hmm. example, um, and dive really deep into that narrative. But yeah, there's something really powerful about seeing representations of ourselves in spaces that we're usually denied from. Uh, and, and I think that's what makes spaces like the one that we're in today so important. Um, and especially in today's era, I think that social media has really been able to allow that access forward and has also allowed us to democratize who is holding the mic and who is being heard. Mm -hmm. A note on Instagram. Can I just tell you guys a story real quick? It's going oh <laughs> to stay between everyone in this room and whoever listens to this podcast <laughs> because we're recording it. So I wear a hijab just in case you didn't notice. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, I put it on my head every morning, but... Last night, I did not put it on my head. I was just taking selfies because I was feeling myself. And then I was taking some really hideous ones. And um, yeah, I posted it on Instagram on my story by accident. And it wasn't even a cute photo. It was the ugliest photo Wait, can ever. Wait, how did you accidentally post a hijabless photo on Instagram? Okay, okay. so this is how it goes, yeah. You take a photo and you're like, this is cute as hell. And then you take another photo that looks disgusting and you're like, I'm Hagrid. And you're like, I have to show, <laughs> I have to show my friends how hideous I am. Um, and I tried to send it to my friends and I hit add story oh. <laughs> and then my internet cut out and then I passed out after that because I don't remember what happened. <laughs> I just woke up by myself from a blackout in tears, <laughs> covered in tears. If I'm going to post a hijabless photo, like it's better be banging. Like it has to look cute or else like, what's the point? Like, or what's the, what's the point of going to hell for like exactly. a shitty photo? Right? Why am I taking this <laughs> L? Why am I taking this sin for the most disgusting photo on earth? I might as well post a like thirst trap and like trap something, but no, I did not. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, that, that's my life. And, um, it's even worse. It was on Instagram. Cause like Instagram, you're like, when you post something, it's screaming into like a room like this. Like I feel like it's so public, but Snapchat, like if I were to post it on there, I feel like it's like quietly like this is this is not really happening. Like I can delete it and have it go unnoticed, but um, thank so God I don't it, have followers. It, like in many ways, social media is a double-edged sword. Yeah. So, but either. like I feel uncomfortable right now because I was the only one that shared a story. So I need someone to share a story about about Snapchat or Instagram or your biggest fear. So does anyone have any social media experiences that they'd like to share? Embarrassing or otherwise? Or potentially embarrassing that you're afraid will happen. <laughs> Something that I can add to my list of anxieties is what I'm really looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes girl. I'm 24 years old. Um, I'm actually from Atlanta, Georgia, but I do live here in Texas. So I'm just down here for South by thanks to my scholarship. Welcome. Um, 
So when I was in college, I, you know, Catfish was a big deal when we were. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> I yeah, love where this is going already. 2013, 2014, all those times. So I usually, all of my accounts, I keep them locked. I keep them private because I do have a lot of family. And then, like, people are just creepy, you know. And I didn't think that it was a big deal. Like, I never really understood why people felt the way they felt when somebody would take their photos. Um, one day, one of the guys that went to school with me, he sent me a message, and he's, he's all the way in Kentucky now. He goes to the University of Kentucky, and he sends me a message. He goes, hey, this person just tried to add me on Instagram, but I know it's not you because you already follow me. <laughs> and I go on the page, and when I say it was the freakiest thing ever, that they have photos of my family from Facebook. They oh, had took damn. photos off of my profile page. They went um, deep. They went deep. They were like posting quotes and stuff. They went as far as to take a picture of me or one of my closest guy friends and like put this whole relationship post underneath it. Oh my God. What really freaked me out was that they took, my middle name starts with a C. Mm -hmm. The person's name started with a C and it was spelled very closely to my middle name. And they said they went to the University of Louisville and I used to live in Lexington, Kentucky. So I'm like spazzing out, having a whole panic attack. And I'm like, Stop. what? Like, cause I didn't know like, you, you, your mind starts wondering to like the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so like seeing a video like that, and it's like, okay, what if they go online and they start posting pictures that are inappropriate, but there's no face to it, mm -hmm. but it's on this page and my face is connected to it. And it's currently it's a private page, but it might become public. So I was just, I was having a full blown emotional yeah. anxiety attack. And so like I emailed Instagram and Instagram, you have to do the most to get account taken down from Instagram. You have to send them like an ID. So I had to send them a copy of my military ID. I had to like write them a message on top of having all of my friends and family report this page. So luckily they got it down within the next 24 hours. But ever since then, it's kind of like I've taken a step back from social media because mm -hmm. I'm very mindful of what I put up. So it's almost like I don't even want to share what's going on in my life mm -hmm. with my family at the expense of maybe something will happen. And then like yeah. now I'm really like paranoid because I have a two year old son oh. and people love to take pictures of little babies yeah. and act like you see it on Twitter all the time. Oh, this is my child. They're sick. And somebody's like, yeah. that's not your kid. I don't know you. That's actually my child. Why do you have a picture of them up? That's crazy. So I'm like, that's probably the weirdest and most awkward thing that has ever happened to me on social media, aside from like random messages from people of different countries trying did, to connect with me. But did you ever find out who was captioning? No, I, I'm pretty sure it was somebody from where I went to high school at, just because a lot of the photos they were able to attain were from Facebook. And at that time, I didn't really have a lot of friends from college on my Facebook. It was mostly like Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. So I kind of narrowed it down to that. But to this day, I still never figured it out. And I never deleted my Facebook account. So for all I know, they're probably still there. And they're like, hmm. Oh, damn. I don't know if there's other accounts out there. I don't know what the heck is but going But honestly, on. though, like, take it as a compliment because you're fine as hell. So if he felt like... Well, or yeah, he you or she, <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that story. Round of applause. Thank you. Um... That story obviously is like not very unique on the internet, right? Um, and a lot of times there is a disproportionate targeting and victimization of women of color on social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, we experience it hands down every day um, in terms of not just like identity theft of people like claiming to speak on our behalf or poses us, but also just in terms of like the harassment. Yeah. The fact that people don't wanna see faces like ours in spaces, especially online, that we do, are, we do carve a, a place for ourselves in. Um, so like on MuslimGirl.com, for example, a lot of times we hear things like, 
oh, you know, you guys, uh, Islam, Islam and feminism is an oxymoron. Yeah. Which, um, by the way, it's not. It is actually synonymous with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, Islam is actually built on feminist values, and you can learn so much more about that on MuslimGirl.com. But we hear that. We Shameless hear plugs. that, right? We hear that, um, you know, the things that we're talking about, we only say because we're from the West and not because we're Muslim, that we should go home to Saudi Arabia. Neither one of us is from Saudi Arabia, by the way. Yeah, so go far home away to from Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. We'd get stoned there if we were this outspoken, which is like also not, not the, the fun case. kind like, of stoned either. Like, like, yeah. not, like, <laughs> P.S. I'm from Canada. It's legal there. So yeah. I'm allowed to make these jokes. <laughs> um, death and rape threats yeah. constantly. And it's not just coming from outside of the Muslim community. It's coming from within the Muslim community also. Right. People that are not interested in looking at um, Muslim women, women. Yeah. that are breaking outside of the box of how we should look, mm-hmm. act, sound. Um, and, and that's really why it's important for us to have spaces like this, for us to be able to speak on these issues on our own terms. Actually, a recent situation in which that happened was with Ilhan Omar. Yeah. Um, has has everyone been keeping up with what's been going on with Congresswoman Omar? Or has heard about it at least? Yeah. It's so, like in your sphere of influence. Yeah. So this everything around Ilhan popped off because she decided to take a very public stance in which she supported, um, you know, the boycott movement against Israel, the right to free speech, the right mm-hmm. uh, to protest. Uh, And the first time that she ever took a public stance like that, where she publicly vocalized it, was on our platform in an interview on MuslimGirl.com. And I think that that really speaks to the fact that when you have a a safe space, a platform where it is on your own terms, you feel comfortable being able to speak your truth, to have that voice, and also to have that support and that backup. And we saw what happened in the aftermath, right? Uh, A lot of right-wing blogs picked up on it and really just swept up a press storm around her that has been ongoing for weeks now. Um, And social media, again, double-edged sword, has played a tremendous role in terms of not only the attacks, but also the saving grace yeah, for her, responses. her career. Yeah. yeah, you can really... Social media is really a tool um, in, in combating these oppressive narratives. But for me personally, it's, it's really given me the opportunity to, like, to take the mic for myself. Um, we keep using this, the, the analogy of the mic, but it, that's really what it is. Like, I'm allowed to speak for myself. I'm allowed to put my own voice to these issues and not have like some white man on whatever like CNN talk for me and talk about these these issues um, and that's that plays a big part into our identities as minorities and our identities as uh, you know um, people uh, people that are othered yeah and and oppressed it's it's different to experience something and to experience microaggression um, and feel like you're crazy for experiencing it and for feeling some type of way about it. To have it solidified by the public sphere, if we're going to, if we're going to get like philosophical right now, to have it solidified by other people and to have that experience shared is a whole new level of of healing and addressing internalized hate um, and eternal, internalized oppression. It's a whole other level of of beginning to understand your double consciousness and using it as a tool to work into um, into your daily life. And social media is an incredible platform in which we connect with one another and we're able to, to experience those things with one another. And that was our first half of our live recording at South by Southwest. Coming up next is our talk with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. 
Thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy that you could be here. Uh, we couldn't be more thrilled for you to join us. We actually were just talking about how especially women of color in the public arena, not only are being censored, but are also being conditioned to self-censor as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a, a defining experience for you, um, not, not even just since your term started, but, but for a minute now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of my mentors said sometimes, especially women of color, uh, we're heard differently, and sometimes we're not even seen, even though we're physically present in the room, uh, but it's been hard. I mean, I think so much of what's happened when we first got there was um, this incredible thing like, look, we are America. Look, there's Muslims now. There's uh, the first, you know, Native American women. The, you know, many of us didn't run to be the first of anything. But the point is, it's, it's like we're going to celebrate diversity, but we're not going to honor it by actually hearing each other, by actually recognizing um the value that we have about our experience of, of being people of color in America. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of um, my work has been to just kind of push back against mm -hmm. a lot of that, um, you know, uh, it's not your turn. Um, you know, uh, I think that is this kind of indirect way of saying not now, uh, maybe later, or again, interpreting what I'm trying to say in the sense of urgency and addressing hate in America. Um, uh, and they're, they're not hearing the sense of urgency coming from somebody that's personally experiencing uh, racism and hate uh, directly. And so, you know, you just got to push up against it and just keep going. I, I always tell people I'm going to outwork the hate, even mm -hmm. among my own, you know, caucus, my own party or whatever it is. And, and people may not like to hear that, but it's, it's, it's something that's very profound and that, um, there are different levels of um, how people see me um, all over in this institution. Rashida, I'm really curious as to how you're, you're carving out that space in, in liberal or quote-unquote progressive spaces, because it's assumed that if you're progressive, you're therefore not ignorant, that um, progression cancels out ignorance. So how are you addressing that? So I don't know. I mean, one, I'm starting to really struggle with this whole like progressive and left and all this stuff. And this today I was telling somebody in caucus and, and the committee um, because there's whole this thing like, oh, are you a socialist? Are you a capitalist? My 13 year old son said it beautifully. He's like, Mama, why are we talking about capitalism and socialism? Why not peopleism? Mm -hmm. And I think for so much of us you know, our values are depicted in what we're fighting for. So a lot of the bills are, you know, people are saying they're radical and uh, they're, you know, aggressive. And I'm like, no, they put people first. I don't know why that's radical. I and mean, we call it bold or we want to call it whatever, but um, a lot of us new members didn't take corporate PAC money. A lot of us, you know, we, we really ran to kind of change the world and do things differently. Uh, and so much of this institution has just not been ready for that. Totally. And, and on your point about it being, you know, wait your turn and whatnot, it also feels a lot of times like you should be grateful that you're here, even exactly. though you've been elected by your constituents and you earned your spot after a long, incredible career in diplomacy. Um, and, and so I wonder, like, is that like, do you think that you would have received the same type of people being like, oh my God, like wait your turn. If you weren't a, a brown woman uh, that is kind of from like a non-status quo background? 
I don't know. I can tell you that um, even my other female colleagues that are not of color, you know, a lot of uh, people that I've been working with on these issues, some of it's because we're different. So even for her, as being not of a person of color, but being a woman, um, she she and I, I was telling her of how I feel like I'm not being seen or heard. And she goes, so do me too. And it's because she doesn't take corporate PAC money and she believes in this accountability on a financial, you know, on the banks and everything. And she speaks differently. I mean, this is a woman that was a victim of, you know, uh, or, or, or survivor of domestic abuse. And she's speaking about it. It's funny, like a lot of us have cried about the pain that we, we, we have felt personally on a number of fronts and a lot of issues that have not been addressed in Congress. And some of my colleagues that have been here longer are just kind of like shrug and say, oh, see as a sign of weakness instead of a sign of like, this is a new day, mm-hmm. that these are women that are raw, that we're not these, you know, career politicians. We, we really are, you know, real community organizers, um, people that want to see movement work within the Congress and moving people towards things that are really important to us. I mean, I just don't understand why we're still fighting for affordable, you know, uh, prescription drugs. Every single time it comes up, everybody agrees. And I look at them and I say, then where's the urgency? Let's move. And that's what's so frustrating with all of us. But I, I got to tell you, you know, every time anybody says, wait our turn, I always say, you know, I didn't know there was a line. Uh, mm-hmm. You show me a line, then I can understand what you're trying to say. But, you know, I constantly am like that six-year-old kid that's like, why, why, why? I'm like, <laughs> and they'll say, oh, that's just not how it's done. I'm like, why? And then nobody can ever answer it. So how do you then force them to listen? How do you force them to answer those questions? You know, you don't force them. Um, you know, Congresswoman Barbara Lee is beautiful. She Today she told me, you know, Rashida, you could be on the corner and be alone, completely alone. But these, mem- these, these folks that might not be on your side right now, they have to pass you by on that corner. And so my mere presence here is going to move people. I think. Yeah. My mere presence here is probably better than any bill I could ever introduce. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, I'm also curious as well. One thing that we've been talking about is how social media has been such a double-edged sword in terms of allowing an equal, she's like laughing, but allowing an equal platform for, you know, people using it for ill intentions just as much as uh, an equal platform for those that are using it to create change. Um, And of course, social media has been so instrumental um, with you and, and the work that you're doing and with your other colleagues in, in Congress as well, like Ilhan, like AOC. Um, and one thing that I'm curious about is, do you think that um, we would be seeing women in Congress that look like us and also to have the support for, uh, for us to hear them, not just see them, but hear them? Um, do you think that that would have been possible without social media? It brings such a national stage to us, right? It's funny because a couple of my senior members like attacked Ilhan publicly, you know, within our own caucus. I was taken aback by that because they were like, you know, people were like, oh, well, you know, because Ilhan responded, but they took it to Twitter. And I was like, you all realize you took it to person that knows how Twitter really works. And that's not, how, but it was a way to defend herself to speak up, Um, you know, it has been very painful to be somewhat of a target um, because we support Palestinian human rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has been painful that, you know, watching my friend Alexandria fight against big banks and fight against this kind of broken system here and how corporate money has really 
um, influence this this institution to a point where we can't pass climate change uh, reform. You know, so much of those issues are at the forefront, and we can't do it because of the influence of money uh, in Congress. And so, watching even them and uh, even Ayana today fight like crazy uh, against Wells Fargo, who's been supporting the National Rifle Association and uh, in, in, in millions of dollars. Uh, all of these women, incredible women, uh, might not be uh, given the space here to speak up and to elevate the voices of the residents they've, you know, were elected to fight for. And so social media has been able to help give them that platform. I mean, it really does watching, watching you, watching, watching a lot of these incredible women that we now have in Congress making these moves. It really does a lot of times feel to me like, okay, we want to see you cute. Okay. But like, we don't want to hear you like keep your mouth shut. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And and I think that the, this experience with APAC and with big money has been such a testament to that. You know, um, even not only the pressures to like publicly apologize, to toe the line, and and not say anything like too controversial, um, and and things like that. I think have really been a testament to the power of these lobbies. Um, and you know, coming in there as women of color, coming from these very vulnerable and marginalized backgrounds, I'm just like. How are you putting up that fight like day after day and not backing down? Like, where do you get that strength from? Yeah, I, because I, I want you all to know, I think it'd be different if I was alone and I don't feel alone. Mm -hmm. Like we have each other. Um, we even have our own little Twitter, uh, like Twitter uh, text messaging going back and forth to each other, lifting each other up. I said something in committee. Ayana's like preach. You know, just her texting to me, preach. Just the um, fact that this group where, chat exists. You know, yeah. this is amazing. right? Like, what is this group chat? If only who replies on the wall. Can you please know, add really, me to it? Yeah, no, I promise no, I, really I won't say anything. But we, we text each other. We uplift each other um, in, in so many ways. Um, we share different things. Uh, I think uh, Congresswoman Presley is the best at sending us beautiful quotes of women before us that have to fight the similar battles. Um, you know, last week, Alexandria came and got me an orchid and just said, I love you. And, Aww. uh, you know, I'm here for you. Uh, but I think we're so much stronger because we lean on each other in so many ways, but yeah, I don't feel alone. I, I feel like when I'm talking like all about this stuff and I have a sister saying, amen, uh, yes. that's exactly right. Um, it just encourages me to continue fighting. Um, and I don't feel, uh, less like I'm being silenced when I have my, my squad. That's so beautiful. Like truly the power of sisterhood. Am I going to cry on this podcast I know, right now? I'm really like tearing up. Am I going to cry in public on this podcast live? I feel like that's going to happen right that's now. That's so beautiful. I mean, um, I'm, I'm so uh, curious as well, right? Like in terms of you guys like all having each other's backs and stuff like that. Um, you have been using social media in such a transformative way to push this conversation forward. And we are in a moment where it does feel like, you know, diversity and wokeness is a trend, right? Yeah. It's a trending hashtag. Everyone thinks it's cool right now. Um, but do you think that, especially with where we've, we've brought it so far, do you think that there's any going back or is there only moving, moving forward from here? I think it's always moving forward from here. The one thing that I hope will help with, you know, our Twitter game, our social media um, kind of approach to a lot of injustices that we see every single day in Congress now and how broken it can be for just the regular person out there 
is making sure that that social media kind of movement is translating the social to the movement on the ground. I'm not just talking about protests, but I'm talking about that awakeness that you talked about. How is that getting to the community members without titles? You know, I worry because my district, you know, I don't know how many people are really on Twitter in my district. I mean, maybe, you know, Facebook and so forth, but it's the third poorest congressional district in the country. And, and I know when I go door to door, they're not asking me about something I tweeted. Um, they're not asking me about something they see on cable because, well, I think 80% don't even have access to cable. Um, oh, they are asking about, you know, so making sure um, that somehow we can translate or increase access to that kind of forum to those folks that are on the ground. Um, we have to continue moving and it will continue being a very profound way of organizing people if we're able to get, you know, that 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 woman I call my mother's in Detroit, getting them, you know, these are over 50 years old women, getting them to really appreciate, um, you know, what's going on on social media and how they can be able to express themselves or be able to be engaged. So it's not just a traditional, you know, marching in the streets, uh, which is important and we continue doing that. But a, a, a lot of now the movement is on, on social media and pushing up against, um, you know, structural racism, against, uh, you know, po- the issues around poverty. So much of that can also be, cha- you know, being pushed up against through social media presence. But, you know, Grace Lee Boggs in Detroit would always say, you know, all the movements from the women's rights movement, civil rights movements, it didn't happen in the walls of, you know, con- in the walls of Congress or Capitol Hill or, you know, the walls of the White House. It happened in the streets. And I feel like even though not physically in the streets, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, all these social media kind of platforms are in the streets uh, kind of approach to a lot of the movement work. Yeah, they're really doing the legwork and they're really like sharing those uh, those uncensored experiences. What's been your biggest challenge? Um, you know, I think for me, um, I want to stay rooted in my community. And so... It's funny, I created these neighborhood service centers in my district and I'm so excited about them, but I'm not physically there. I'm here and I have to vote, I have to do this, but I wanna do the social services work. I wanna do the kind of everyday challenges. And I love it because we had a guy that for three years has been fighting like social security administration and getting, um, he's disabled. Uh, For three years he's been fighting. We actually got him finally um, $23,000 of back social security. And I'm so excited. I know that's not like my money, but I feel like I got that. That's so incredible. I know. I'm like, Alhamdulillah, I'm so happy. Uh, I feel, you know, it's as important as a bill. And so for me, it's be able to balance that. I need to be able to do those kinds of things because I'm kind of impatient. I need to see I'm changing people's lives every day um, and, and introducing a bill that could take months or even years here um, uh, is, is, is kind of keeps me down. I'm like, I'm one of those mama bears. Like I need to see lives change for the better. And so the neighborhood service centers and being away from there has been a challenge. And I just need to be always connected and rooted there. Um, but that's been my biggest challenge is trying to balance that and having to do this policy kind of work, which is important but also being able to do the everyday work and the the service center work. I'm so curious um, with the work that you are doing, how can individuals like ourselves that might not necessarily be your constituents, um, how can we have your back? A lot of the work that I'm going to be doing is going to take a lot of political courage. I'm going to take on the Koch brothers with my petroleum Coke bill. I'm going to be taking on big banks uh, when I push up against uh, the corporate greed there and, and some of the mechanisms there. I'm taking on the credit bureaus is is in many ways to kind of 
push back against those that say it's not possible. Um, I think you're not supporting me if you're silent um, on, on these kinds of issues. And I think there's always this assumption that people kind of know or, um, oh, you know, what I was telling the squad once is like, we got elected, we're here. And it's like, people are like, peace out. Like, you guys got it. And I'm like, no, 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 don't leave us alone. Like, continue, no, continue to push back against corporate greed and, and all the injustices that we have from discrimination to everything. Even racism is so, so strong in our country right now mm. is that don't like, don't walk away from us and say, we got this. Like, we need that that crew behind us and pushing back with us um, on, on a number of these policy fronts that as we introduce this stuff, you know, when people say, oh, Green New Deal, please, we don't have no money for it. I need, people need to be like, yes, we do. We just spent, you know, some billions of dollars on this Department of Defense, you know, contract or uh, so that's really important. That's how you can support us is not being silent when you know that that's unjust. And I find more Republicans and Democrats agree with us on corporate welfare, like, you know, giving out these big tax breaks in exchange for nothing. Um, you know, they agree with us on the fact that there's inequity in education funding. Um, but I think a lot of us still stay silent on it. And we, I think we should speak up. Well, you have the, the power of the entire Muslim girl army behind you. Yeah, we got you, girl. We have you. No question. You so we hold you in our hearts so dearly. No, thank you guys so much for providing uh, a space for young Muslimas. My sister absolutely adores you guys. I, she makes me feel old. Like I was like, am I not like part of Muslim? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I appreciate you guys giving a voice, especially on. It, it really was heartening to hear you guys talking more and more about um, kind of anti-blackness uh, within our own community, mm -hmm. uh, talking about um, you know sexual assault in our own community and not, you know, so those are things that I think that's how you have our back. If, if you're all speaking about those things and when I'm over here introducing stuff on it, um, I'll feel supported. Well, look who's talking in terms of creating space. I'm so invested and curious what is happening with the congressional trip to Palestine. Oh, so um, we were going to do it like in April, but I just I want to do so much with it <laughs> that we decided we're probably going to do it in late summer. Um, but it's exciting. There's so a lot happening. of people are interested. Yeah, I'm really, oh, it is happening. Um, uh, I have six members that are really interested. Uh, we got to make sure the, um, uh, the schedules line up. I'm inviting all 434 of my colleagues. I'm not going to just, uh, only my, my squad sisters or maybe everybody. Um, and we'll be going to Ramallah and Jerusalem, uh, East Jerusalem. Uh, inshallah, one, uh, hopefully I want to go to Gaza, but I think Gaza, cause we have to go through a different route yeah. and so forth to get in. It might take longer. And it's funny. Some of my colleagues are like, I've been to Gaza. And I went up to a couple of them that have told me that. And I went up to them. I was like, Oh, so you've been to Gaza. Like, how did you guys get in from like the West Bank? And they were like, Oh no, we just went to the border. I'm like, that doesn't count. Like, you know, inside, I mean, what is that? That is so weird. I'm like, that doesn't count. But you know, I keep telling my colleagues, like, you know, I hope you see value in actually having a member of Congress with a living grandmother in the West Bank and Palestine. Think about that, the value of actually having a living grandmother, uh, living relatives of a person, uh, a member, a colleague that can tell about the human impact of what it means to live in occupation, mm. um, to get human rights uh, uh, denied to you. And so I, I, I'm really pushing a lot of my colleagues to use this as an opportunity. I mean, you hear so many of them say, well, we have to hear both sides. This is their chance to hear a side that I think 
they've never really heard from from somebody that's personally personally uh, have experience in it um, by hearing the stories from my grandmother, from my city, and from all Hawaii and all of them. Um, so it, it is something I'm really excited about, and, and it's definitely happening. My grandmother's already talking about cooking for everybody. So. Uh, <laughs> I, really, I can't wait to see photos from that trip. Like, I think my life depends I know, on it. I was like, oh my God. So, uh, Rashida, sadly, we only have a few more minutes with you. So I think we have time to take one question from our audience, if you don't mind. If anyone would like to ask a question. Anyone have a question for Rashida that they'd like to ask? Okay. Yes, please. please. Yeah. I'm uh, really curious, especially for you and your colleagues, what it's like to um, sit across the aisle from bigots, like people who really are, I mean, they really, you know, express terrible views and you have to smile or shake hands or how, how does that work for you? Well, I'm, look, I mean, I think I'm exposing Islam in such a profound way through my public service but I also am a person that is trying to come from a place of love um, as much as I can, but it still hurts. And again, if I didn't have Ayana or Alexandria there, we literally pass notes to each other every time something we know is so racist just yeah. happening. <laughs> um, it makes me so happy knowing that happens. Really they pass notes to each other, yeah. I will live on that <laughs> for the do. rest of my we life. We actually do. <laughs> uh, we pass notes to each other like, oh, isn't that the member that um, like did so-and-so? And then uh, Ayana makes fun of me because I'll like look them up and say, you know, that's, he's on a like, I won't even tell you. Like, I, I look up yeah, stuff. No, no, I want this to tweet. I want to this tweet so badly. feel less crazy. Like, okay, this is a very hateful person. And so, anyhow, I think I try, you know, even with, like, Congressman Mark Meadows, um, he came up to me on the House floor the day after, and he was like, thank you for being so gracious, uh, all this stuff. And, and you could tell I leaned in for the hug, and he was just like, oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah. see, Muslims, we're, we're, we're loving, we're kind, and, like, Aww. you can touch that. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe not all my Muslimas, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you that I, I know I use a lot of humor to get over the pain of it. Like, sometimes I don't want to cry, like, about it, because if I think about it too much, I just break down. But sometimes I do. I go to the bathroom. I come to the office. And I'll just break down and just let that pain um, go through me as, as as quickly as I can and then go out there and outwork the hate. Outwork the hate as, as quickly and as determined as I can um, and realizing just how important it is that I'm here um, and that there's nothing they can do. I'm an equal to them. Uh, there's nothing they can do um, to make you know me go away, uh, no matter how hard they, they, they're trying is that I got elected by an incredible district in Michigan, and I am going to always, as I walk in onto the United States congressional floor, be able to say, I'm an equal to you. And so my voice is as important as their voices and so forth. And so all I can do is just remember that. And it's the biggest, like, you know, I know my staff, like, biggest middle finger is like, I'm here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and Rashida, thank God we have you there. We have an applause from the audience out here. <laughs> thank God we have you there. 
Um, know that we are sending love light and so many positive vibes your way and and really just praying for your strength and and for you to be as loud and as bold as you have been and will continue to be and we we love you we love you so much thank you so much thank you for joining us thank you it's been a pleasure Bye. And that is a wrap on episode number two. We wanted to give a huge shout out to Congresswoman Rashida and her team and the South by Southwest team for all of their work in making this come together. We had such an incredible time and uh, obviously a very huge thank you to all of you listening out there. If you'd like to follow either myself or Amani or Muslim Girl, all of that information is going to be in the description box down below as always. And make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And we'll see you in the next one. That is a promise. Voila. Okay, bye.